Hello, everyone. Welcome to News and Brews Sports Biz, our to-the-point video and podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Ken Kurzel. We're excited to have you tune in today as I'm joined by special guests and colleagues, Brendan McKittrick and Shane Metzler. Brendan serves as a director, while Shane as an audit manager with our firm, both focusing on our higher education and college athletics segments. Hello, Brendan and Shane, welcome. The NCAA released its 2021 edition of the Agreed Upon Procedures Guide in May. Brendan, what was changed in this year's Agreed Upon Procedures Guide? Thanks, Ken, for having us. I'm really excited to be back on News and Brews. Yeah, so the changes this year weren't very drastic. Uh, the NCAA did add some information, information reiterating the difference between reporting requirements for Division one, two, and three, and kind of the requirements of when they should be have an external for, firm perform those agreed upon procedures. Just as a little bit of a reminder, Division one schools uh, have their agreed upon procedures performed annually. Division two is once every three years, and Division three doesn't currently have a requirement for an external for, firm to perform that review. The NCAA also clarified uh, categories that references bowls to football bowls, since I'm guessing it wasn't clear for some people. And, I'm assuming they received um, you know, enough questions throughout the year to make sure that they wanted to update that wording. There's also some clarification on Pell Grants. Uh, the first one, or the first being that only Pell Grants for sports with NCAA that conducts championship competition, emerging sports for women, and bowl subdivision football are really countable. The second clarification was that student athletes should only be counted once, even if the student athlete participates in multiple sports, which is probably straightforward, but again, they just like to add that clarification. And of all these changes I mentioned, um, you know, these were really highlighted in an article that we just released that you can find on our website. So Ken, that's really, you know, nothing that's substantially changed in the new Agreed Upon Procedures that was released in May. All right, good to know. So Shane, were there any mentions or modifications made uh, related to the COVID-19 pandemic that's had such a drastic impact on the college sports landscape in 2020? Yeah, not really, Ken. You know, we we really expected that there um, would, you know, that there would be a either a new expense category for, you know, kind of specific COVID-19 expenditures or at least kind of a clarification as to, you know, how those specific COVID-19 expenditures should be classified. Um, but the new AUP didn't really touch on that at all. Um, and I know a lot of the athletic departments that we've spoken to throughout the year have kind of been separately tracking those COVID-19 expenditures in kind of their own separate GL account for, you know, either for university tracking purposes or, you know, because they, like us, they thought that, you know, there would be a new expense category related to that. Um, so unfortunately, uh, those transactions that they've kind of been separately categorizing, they're going to have to kind of reclassify those into the standard um, you know, statement of revenue and expense, expense categories. Um, some guidance that we did receive last year kind of related to these is that um, when you're classifying them, you know, classifying them out of, out of that COVID category now into your main expense categories, basically look at the definitions and try to determine if these transactions kind of fit the definitions of any of the main expense categories. So, you know, for example, COVID testing for student athletes, well, that could be, that could fit the definition of category number 37, uh, medical expenses and insurance. 
whereas um, maybe you know testing and protocol expenses for event staff uh, could potentially fit the definition for category number 30 game day expenses uh, so kind of that's kind of the first step is just look through the definitions see if you know you can categorize these into the pre-existing ex, uh, expense categories if not that's what category number 40 other operating expenses is for it's kind of a catch-all uh, to basically get anything that doesn't fit the rest of the definitions or you know these unique one-year items such as the COVID-19 expenses. Yeah definitely a surprise I think um, we all expected a, a COVID-19 category uh, on these um, the SRE and definitely surprised not to see it so um, so throughout the year, um, you know, looking at these procedures, we begin to find certain themes uh, where we've come up with a new feature that we're going to call which line is it anyway. Um, so Shane, what, what are some of the biggest themes you've seen so far this year? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would definitely say, you know, so far this year, the, the biggest theme we've seen is just the, the various uh, types of support that athletic departments are receiving from universities and uh, the different ways universities are kind of being creative to to provide that support as you know the athletic departments have faced a pretty tough year um, and you know as as we've talked it's it's really been interesting to see all of the different unique situations that you know are occurring between athletic departments and the universities and uh, we did want to touch on kind of a few that we really think might be applicable to um, the other athletic departments so, and share kind of the guidance that we've received because um, we think it might be helpful. And so the first one uh, that we wanted to touch on is CARES Act funding that's kind of allocated from universities to the athletic department. And so the NCAA guidance on this is uh, to report that um, support in category number two, direct state and other governmental support. And, you know, there there is an argument that could be said um, we're categorizing that into category number four, uh, which is direct institutional support, since the university is kind of determining how much uh, of that of those funds to allocate to athletics. Um, but the NCAA's stance is that you know since these are originally coming from the federal government, it makes the most sense to go into category number two. So that's what I would do with those. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, <clears throat> just to piggyback off of that, you know, we've seen you know a lot of discussion also on institutional loans and how those should be handled. And we've also, you know, previous to last year, you know, we, we had seen some questions on that too. And, and unfortunately, I'd have to say that it kind of depends on the situation and, uh, you know, who you talk to. So, I, you know, I know that's not the best answer, but, I, you know, we've gotten some information that really has to do with how the money's being used. And it's also, you know, the answers we've received from the NCAA is sometimes varied as well. Um, I know last year, we were working with the school and we got guidance that if the loan was for operations, then it would be picked up as revenue as institutional support. This year, um, you know, it appears that now they want to try and treat it as athletics debt. So obviously a little bit unclear, but, it, you know, as we always recommend, can uh, work with your CPA, work with NCAA, really to make sure you're recording it correctly and, and consistently in the SRE. So again, we're trying to compare apples to apples as much as possible. And to, and to keep going, and another one of the situations that we've seen uh, specifically related to kind of COVID support from universities is universities providing reimbursements uh, for COVID-related expenditures. Um, and so the big question with that has just been, well, should we show this as a reduction of our expenses or 
you know, should this reimbursement be picked up as some form of revenue? And NCAA stance on that is that it should be picked up as revenue, um, specifically in category number four, direct institutional support. Um, and the reason for that is because they are uh, true athletic, if they're true athletic department expenditures, then you're going to want to show the gross amount um, on the statement of revenues and expenses in, in your expense category, whatever kind of applicable category that is. And then, you know, since the university is providing support for those expenditures, you're going to want to pick up the revenue on the revenue side. There is a slight caveat to that, which is just basically that applies as long as the expenses are true expenses of the athletics department. So back to our previous example, COVID testing for student athletes. Sure, that, you know, if we want to compare apples to apples with other athletic departments, well, yeah, that's that's an expense of this athletic department. We should show that on an SRE. Versus if the athletic department was, you know, footing the bill for, you know, a university related expense and then the university is just paying them back for it. Well, then sure, you know, that's not an athletic department expense. You know, we don't wouldn't need to show that. And then it could just reduce those expenses off. Yeah. And to try and wrap up kind of with one last item, you know, loan forgiveness is another one. You know, I know hot topic for obvious reasons this year. Uh, and we've reached out to NCAA to get some clarification since we know there's schools that we're working with that are going to get some level of help from the school or institution and to see how those should be reported on the payment of revenues and expenses. We did get uh, kind of a rule of thumb from the NCAA indicating that if there was any debt that was forgiven, that it should be picked up as institutional support. But if there was any debt that wasn't, you know, keep as athletics related debt. So just to give it a little example, you know, if an athletic de department was short about $3 million and the school helped foot the bill for that deficit, uh, but they said, hey, you know, you're going to have to owe us half of that back. They would, you know, you would essentially get the institutional support for the 1.5 million and the remaining would be athletics related debt. Now, say the next year situation changes, school goes ahead and forgives that debt. Then again, you would pick that up in that current period, which would be the next fiscal year as institutional support. So again, kind of got to work through those facts and circumstances, but it, you know, there is a little bit more clarity in, on, on that piece. And I think it does make sense on our end when we're kind of working through that, you know, they are getting support for that half and then the, the rest of it is truly owed back to the university. So it would be debt. Those are great points of discussion. And yeah, as you, as you mentioned, we're um, really hearing from many clients and friends in the industry that there's been a lot of creativity uh, within different universities and colleges related to how they're managing uh, the big deficits caused by, by the pandemic this year. And um, so definitely a lot in the athletics related debt area that um, the schools will have to figure out um, how they're gonna report here. So institutions are gonna begin their reporting process in the very near future. Um, and with that in mind, do you all have any specific reminders uh, that needed to be focused on for proper reporting? Yeah, the first one that really comes to mind and one we, Kind of have to think about every year is conference distributions versus NCAA distributions versus media rights. Um, you know, a lot of the schools we work with generally receive that money through the conference offices. So it's really important that the athletics department either get guidance from the conference or get a level of detail to determine how to allocate those between the categories. Um, we do have some schools and conferences where it's the conference says, hey, this is how you need to report it on the statement of revenues and expenses. So that's how they do it. And that's really for consistency between the conference. Again, there's 
there's some sometimes a lack of clarity on that side and i think sometimes it may just get bucketed in one of those categories but i think if you can try and ask the question to the conference to either get that information or at least some guidance on how to categorize it that would be kind of the kind of the best way uh, to move forward yeah definitely another uh, kind of tricky situation or, or category that we've seen that uh, can cause some confusion is uh, category number eight contributions and uh, it's honestly the the definition for the category is kind of straightforward uh, but it contains a qualifier in the definition that basically says that um, it should only include uh, contributions used in the current reporting year. Uh, and then later on in the definition, kind of reiterates and says that contribution revenues should not include uh, any contributions to be used in future reporting years. So they're, they're really kind of hammering that in and, and basically saying, you know, only what's used in the current year should be reported. And basically where we've kind of seen mistakes around this area is, you know, say for example, your athletic department gets, you know, a report from, you know, your foundation or booster club and says, you know, we took in, you know, say $10 million of contributions this year and we transferred $6 million into the athletic department to fund athletic scholarships <clears throat> or athletic operating expenses, you know, really anything. So where we've seen a mistake is athletic departments will pick up all $10 million as contribution revenues rather than only the $6 million that was transferred into the athletic department. How it should be is right. Only in contributions, contribution revenues, only the $6 million that was transferred in and used for athletics operating expenses, whereas the other $4 million that just stayed with foundation or stayed with booster club should not be reported. Only last thing that I want to comment on for contributions is that if the foundation or booster club are paying for any expenses on behalf of athletics or you know paying them directly and it's never even funding through athletics both the gross amount of the expenses that they're paying for and an equal amount of contribution revenue should be included on the athletic department's revenues and expenses yeah yeah and that's when we get all the time and we talk through that every year so definitely a good point there. Uh, the next one, it, it you know that really comes to mind is contract buyouts, and you know it's one we generally receive questions on, especially the amount of activity that seems to happen every year, even during a pandemic. Um, so you know, working with the NCAA, we've noticed that they generally are trying to look for transparency and consistency. However, sometimes it's difficult uh, based on some of the unique situations each school is dealing with. Um, we did have a situation, uh, well, we did reach out to the NCAA uh, as far as how to generally record those transactions, uh, and they did indicate to offset revenues that were received for money received for a buyout against salary expenses. However, we had a specific insta uh, instance where we were, we were working with the school that kind of had issues with that reporting piece because they were like, well, hey, we didn't really use that money to offset any of the salary expense or help hire the new new coach. We used that for operations. So we went back to the NCAA, kind of explained the situation, and they were like, yeah, that makes the most sense. So what happened was the, the amount of money that was used for, to hire the new coaches, say for like moving expenses, they did use that to offset that expense. However, the rest of it was really picked up as other revenue. 
So, you know, as I mentioned before, Ken, and, you know, we'll probably continue to mention work with your CPA, work with NCAA. Again, I think they try to give you a, a best case scenario or, hey, this is how we think it is. But a lot of times it's not always going to fit. So. Absolutely. So when working with clients and partnering institutions, have any reminders come to mind that each of you want to point out related to best practices for the NCAA AUP? Yeah, in a big picture, um, you know, with AUPs, audits, anything you're working on, you know, really setting expectations on both sides, which includes setting deadlines and really trying to set, hey, when are we going to start getting information? I think more specifically, um, the biggest thing that we do and you know, seems to work really well is start the scholarship and payroll testing uh, earlier. Uh, you can actually start that testing. A majority of the testing can get done before the statement of, in, of revenue and expenditures is actually even released. So generally, we'll ask our clients to send over a squad list so we can start making samples. And really, ideally, we're getting that work done, hopefully in late summer or early fall. So we really don't have to worry about it later when we're trying to test the rest of the categories in the SRE. And Shane, I know we're hoping that, you know, we're wrapping up those procedures before the holiday break. Definitely. Yeah. We love when we're able to get those done before we go on, go on break. Yeah. Uh, one other, you know, kind of best practice that, that I just wanted to mention is uh, that can really make your life easier as you're kind of going through the agreed upon procedures is once you have your statement of revenues and expenses ready, Go ahead and pre-screen it. Look for any of the revenue and expense categories that are over 4% of, you know, 4% of revenues or 4% of expenses, because those are the categories that your auditor is going to have to perform procedures over. So, you know, you can look at the procedures in the in the NCAA Agreed Upon Procedures Guide, and you can pretty much exactly see, hey, here's what my auditor is going to ask for. So you can go ahead and, and start getting expense details ready. You can, you know, look at uh, your revenue categories that are going to be over 4% and start pulling some of the bigger transactions and having that support ready. And you can really just prepare yourself. So as soon as your auditor is, is kind of asking you questions, you can kind of anticipate those and have everything ready to really save yourself time when you're going through the engagement. Yeah, all of that's really helpful. Uh, those are great tips. Um, you know, it's evident that obviously working with do dozens of schools that you guys have really developed a deep knowledge in this area and um, kind of know, you know, what works and what doesn't work and, and the best ways to, to help get these procedures done in a good and efficient manner. So thanks for joining us today. And um, final important question is uh, what beers are y'all drinking? Uh, Brendan, let's start with you. Um, what are you enjoying today? I am drinking Thankfully, Ken gave this to me. It's the mango peach pie in the face from Tampa Bay Brewing Company. It's a sour. Um, I'm pretty sure Ken's not a huge fan of sours, but I am, so I'm really this I was very happy to give that one away to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's a uh, Karate in the Garage. It's a hazy IPA from Southern Swells Brewery in Jacksonville. Very good. Great, and I am uh, I'm drinking one from a very new brewery. It's called Makama. Um, this is uh, their rare cargo. Um, it's a hazy double IPA. Makama is a, a new brewery in Fernandina Beach, Florida, and um, started up from some people that uh, worked at Creature Comforts in Athens, Georgia, and then Burial in Asheville, North Carolina. Two great breweries. So um, it's an outstanding, outstanding beer from a really cool uh, brewery that actually started right in the pandemic in November 2020. So. 
um, getting off start uh, to a fast start. So again, uh, Brendan and Shane, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, super happy that you're part of our team and um, hope everyone has a good day. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. Thanks for having us, Ken. Thanks. To learn more about the James Moore and Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 